Go beyond the headlines and deepen your understanding of the forces shaping our world today on The Political Scene, a newly updated podcast from The New Yorker. With episodes three times each week, The Political Scene accesses the sharpest minds on politics, offering insight and analysis about everything from abortion rights to the war in Ukraine. Join me, Tyler Foggett, for conversations with the most knowledgeable minds from The New Yorker that will dive deep on the most interesting political story of the week. Then, Susan Glasser, Jane Mayer, and Evan Osnos gather to hash out what's happening in Washington, D.C., with an insider's understanding of the high stakes at this perilous moment for American democracy. Plus, our editor David Remnick will provide you with insightful storytelling with a mix of interviews and profiles. That's all happening on the political scene. Make sure you're following it now, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jason Kander. And I'm Ravi Gupta. And this is Majority 54, the podcast for meaningful conversations that change minds, change votes, and win elections. Ravi, how you doing? <laughs> I'm good, man. I'm having a busy week. I think I just bought an apartment in Brooklyn. I think I'm moving back to the borough of my birth. And so I'm really excited about that. It's an old uh, converted post office. Uh, that's really cool. And it's like right in the middle of like a neighborhood that most of my friends have moved to. So I'm pretty excited about that. And right down the street from Barclays Arena so I can go hate watch the Nets. Uh, Perfect. Which is really, uh, makes me really excited. I also launched a newsletter yesterday for the Lost Debate. People could search for it on Substack. It's called the Lost Debate Newsletter. And first thousand people are free. So you should jump in there. And then most importantly, I turned 39 tomorrow Ooh. which is today i guess for the listeners so I'm, I'm getting up there man that's right our birthdays are super close like i'm almost exactly two years older than you because i turned what's your birthday may 4th oh shit yeah. dude we should do a big birthday uh podcast next week although I, if you're like me i don't know if i celebrate anymore when i get there i'm like uh i do now now i'm <clears throat> i'm getting back to it like like my yeah. so for my birthday week i'm super pumped it's so it's my birthday's on wednesday next week monday i play my first baseball game of the year tuesday i play my second baseball game of the year wednesday my birthday i coach true's team like it's just like a it's, dude i've been seeing non-stop baseball content on your instagram I'm, yeah, I'm, i have I to like make a chart about all the jerseys they have. yeah i should yeah, i've been like... thinking i should actually maybe post something about like world events uh, no 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 do it you don't have to you don't no, have to no. by the way it's funny you should say that I, I i you know me i rarely tweet but i tweeted something yesterday that like i was kind of going at it with people about something and somebody was like it was like a charter thing and somebody was like you know you're making you're grifting off of charter schools to travel the world or something and i was like <laughs> that has to be a majority 54 person because the only way you'd know that I'm traveling the world is if you listen to this podcast or you follow me on Instagram and I looked and he didn't follow me on Instagram. I was like, you must be majority 54. Uh, <laughs> that guy. I was like, I do travel the world, but I'm not doing it off of grifting off of public dollars. I haven't run a charter school since 2016, sir. Uh, but th just be careful what you share about your hobbies is all I'm saying. Yeah, that's right. Well, it gets dangerous out there. It's dangerous. All right. Well, this is fun for our opening segment. Our uh, what did we call it? It's talking trash. Uh, yes. For our, our focusing on getting the more trivial stuff out of the way first, and then moving into the the you know the more serious stuff. Here's what we're gonna do, listeners. We couldn't decide who had the shittier week, whether it was Madison Cawthorn or Kevin McCarthy. But we felt talking about their shitty weeks in both cases was kind of trivial. So Edie who's producing this week is going to be the judge 
Hey, everybody. All right. I'm ready to hear your cases. There you go. So Ravi's going to present the case for why Madison Cawthorn had the shittier week. And then I'm going to present the case for why McCarthy had the shittier week. Go. Spoken like a true trial attorney, giving yourself the rebuttal. Yeah, I was expecting. hundred percent. I did, that. 100% I did that. Yeah. All right. Well, let me bring it then. All right. So most importantly, it, it, it's a most important to think about when you think about who had the shittier week is both from a substantive perspective, which I'm going to grant to our jury here that from a substantive perspective, your guy has more power than my guy. So I'm already at a disadvantage, but my guy did more damage to his life and future career prospects than your guy did. Now, the palate cleanser here was at the beginning of the week. There was a story that dropped that Madison Cawthorn, uh, there were photos of him. Turned out, I think he was at a cruise, at a party on a cruise where he was wearing lingerie. And I'm like, that's not a story. Who cares? People should wear lingerie if they want to, right? Now, people pointed out that the hypocrisy was the point and that Madison Cawthorn has, you know, pointed fingers and wagged his finger at, at people for partying in D.C., yada, yada, yada. That whole debate is muddy, but that was just the beginning of his week. He has now done a couple of different things, mostly illegal things. One is he tried to make his way through the airport security at Charlotte Douglas International Airport, great airport, great food, with a gun, which I believe is a misdemeanor. And so he is going to be facing some potential legal recourse over that. I believe on the very same day, uh, there was an article in the Washington Examiner of all places, which is a not the most left-wing publication, pointing out that Madison Cawthorn is implicated in potential insider trading uh, for his pumping of the let's go Brandon cryptocurrency and then the eventual dump of that is possible. He had inside information about Brandon, the... NASCAR driver announced shortly after Madison Cawthorn's tweets, the, the Brandon NASCAR driver announced that he was going to be like the Brandon cryptocurrency was going to be his official like sponsor for NASCAR. And so that like helped pump the stock. And people think Madison Cawthorn might have advanced knowledge of that. That is a felony. If he gets convicted, he will be going probably to Butner Penitentiary for that one. And fun fact, my brother is the federal corrections officer there, so they can talk politics. Um, <laughs> uh, but third, I thought that was it, Jason. And before I got on, I just Googled Madison Cawthorn's name and I learned that there is yet another story from the past week. A former district staffer is accusing Madison Cawthorn of improperly firing her after denying her family a medical leave, and she recorded her interactions, and in one of the recordings claims that there's more liquor bottles than water bottles at their district staff office. So that feels to me like that is a civil case against him. We've talked about two criminal cases and then just one case in the, the court of hypocrisy. So that's four things in one week, and we're recording this on a Wednesday, Jason. There's, there's plenty left to come. So I really like your framing that it's based on it affected his life more than the stakes of things because he's not as powerful. But I actually would put this in a different way for us to think about it is that Kevin McCarthy has been chasing a singular goal for like what? 20, 20 years, I'd say, right? I mean, Kevin McCarthy has been out there trying to convince people that he should be the Speaker of the House and that he's not a completely empty suit, right? Now, that's different from Madison Cawthorn, who's what, like 28 or whatever he is, and has known for his entire short adult life that he's a complete con man. Like Madison Cawthorn is under no 
illusions whatsoever that he's a substantive person like he i think every day has been like i can't believe i am still getting away with this right whereas mccarthy i have met mccarthy and i can tell you that i remember nothing about meeting kevin mccarthy and that's because (laughs) kevin mccarthy and we had a conversation and it's like it never happened it's just a blank space in my memory and that's because kevin mccarthy is just a nothing like there's nothing going on there but kevin mccarthy didn't know that kevin mccarthy was maybe the only guy who didn't know that and so this week when it's come out that he you know has that he was telling the, his Republican caucus after January 6th that he was going to call on the president. He was going to call the president and tell the president to resign. You know, these recordings that came out where he was saying, you know, I've had it with this guy. This has to stop. You know, this is standard par for the course. Kevin McCarthy stuff. Say one thing to one person, say another to another. That's how a guy with no substance, who's not at all memorable, who's an empty suit, manages to make it as far as he has just by being like one inch deep and, and and a mile wide, just nothing going on there. But until this week, I think Kevin McCarthy still thought that Kevin McCarthy was a genuine human being who, you know, existed and was and was matter and carbon in the political space. And now, now this week, Kevin McCarthy found out that that's not the case. And Kevin McCarthy is definitely not going to be speaker now. And I think that that's pretty devastating because he's got so many years pot committed to the idea that Kevin McCarthy was a big deal. And he's not. I have so many thoughts, but I'm I'm going to. Yeah, I think it's only, only fair if you can rebut that. Do I get a rebuttal? Okay. <laughs> well, one thing is, okay. Because I things. kind of one, rebutted yours directly. Well, yeah. One is that Trump met with him and apparently said he's fine. So he may survive. Right. And two is that, well, I guess that's my big one. But the second one is even if he isn't the speaker, he's still going to be a member of Congress, probably in the worst version of this story for him. Whereas my guy, he also has his ambitions, right? So McCarthy has his own ambitions, but just because Madison Cawthorn hasn't lived as long doesn't mean he doesn't have dreams. And his dream is probably to be president because all we know all people who go into Congress probably look in the mirror and see president, right? So that's going to be hard with all this stuff coming out. So the ceiling has lowered. But the floor has also lowered for him because it could mean a, a, a jail cell at Butner Penitentiary, which your guy does not have. Like that is not his floor does not include losing his freedom, which, by the way, I'm not gleeful about bad things happening to people. It's just this is a guy who seems to have some particularly despicable political beliefs. And so I'm not shedding any tears for him. Okay, I'll be honest. I check raised you. I, I held one thing back, which is that, ah. which is that Tucker Carlson has come out after McCarthy, which yeah. means a couple of things. It, I should have named that. I was going to mention that in my rebuttal <laughs> to try to get, take it away from which, me. Which, yeah. which means a couple of things. It means that, well, first of all, as an aside, Madison Cawthorn ain't going to jail. Like, you know, first time offense, member of Congress in his home. Well, second I, time I, offense this week. <laughs> I know, I know, but on the, but yeah. on the, uh, right, right, right. Well, and that's all a function of he's in this primary and the Republicans in Washington are just done with him. So they're dumping everything on yeah. him. But, but. He blamed the libs, by the way, for it, but it's his own people. I think doing this. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. But McCarthy, because Carlson has come after him, that means that Cawthorn is going to have something that McCarthy is not when this is over. Because first of all, I don't think McCarthy stays in Congress after after like not getting speaker or whatever. And what McCarthy is not going to have that Cawthorn is going to have is a very excited audience for his right wing podcast slash show. And McCarthy ain't going to have that because Carlson has just basically canceled him with with the crazy people on the right. Uh, So with that said, 
Edie, tell us, wh- where do you yeah. come down on this? You know, it's a really tough decision. It was impressive to watch you guys go at it there, but I think I'm going to have to give this one to Jason and Kevin no. McCarthy. Here's the thing, Rami, you know, there were a lot of things stacked up against Madison Cawthorn, but I agree with Jason. He's not going to jail. In some ways, all of this controversy, when he puts it on the Dems, I think it's going to come out in his favor and people are going to, you know, at least he's being talked about. Like Mm -hmm. Kevin McCarthy, to me, it's a tragic tale of an inconsequential, sad man. Like to me, that's far more of a tragedy than whatever's happening to Madison Cawthorn right now. Okay, let me let me say this, Edie. I hate to do this. Let me take my debating hat off for a moment and say, I, I think you got this one wrong. I really appreciate. <laughs> I really, I, I, I really appreciate that I that I won the debate. But I gotta say, like, look, what Kevin, what's going to end up happening is Kevin McCarthy is going to actually find some Kevin McCarthy within the, the Kevin McCarthy suit that he's been wearing. Yeah, he's like a to, Russian nesting doll. There'll right. be another one underneath. He's, he's going to have the opportunity to go back to California, discover that he has a family, perhaps, and and you know. Go on with his life and madison cawthorn is going to continue to be a train wreck of an unhappy human being yeah i didn't make the argument in full faith uh, well i was going to reserve my right to appeal to the audience but audience you weigh in out there you tell us yeah i want to know what the audience thinks because at the end of the day i make this decision because i really feel like madison cawthorn isn't going to be meaningfully impacted by any of these hmm. things i think it's sort of like a like all publicity is good publicity type thing for him. I I think by that standard, I think you're right. And I was right. What I'm saying is I I guess really the actual Jason steps back and applies a different standard, which is which of these two sad bastards gets to step away and find a new life. (laughs) Yeah. I also take my debating hat off for a second and say Madison Cawthorn, the human being seems like he needs a lot of help. And so outside of the politics and I'm not even trying to be funny, like, like outside of the politics, I hope he seeks that help. I hope he, you know, I hope he stops serving and stops pushing really pernicious policies. But at the same time, like he clearly is somebody who's really troubled when you see somebody spiraling out of control like this. I don't love being gleeful about this kind of stuff. So I do want to acknowledge that, like, it seems like he's struggling with something and he should get some help. Yeah. It's also worth mentioning that there are Democrats running against Cawthorn. We're still in the primary, but I'll just give you the names of those folks running if you want to check them out and support any of the candidates. Jasmine Beach Ferreira, Jay Carey, Katie Dean, Marco Gutierrez, Bo Hess, and, and Bynum Lunsford. And obviously, we'll find out in no time who the Democrat is who emerges from that primary. Also, shout out to Ben Duell and Marissa Wood, who are Democratic candidates running against Kevin McCarthy. From anti-abortion legislation across the country to Katanji Brown-Jackson's historic nomination, there's a lot of legal news to keep up with. I'm Leah Littman, law professor and co-host of Strict Scrutiny, the newest crooked podcast that covers the United States Supreme Court. Each week, I'm joined by my co-hosts and fellow law professors Kate Shaw and Melissa Murray to break down the latest headlines. The Supreme Court is serious business, but we don't take ourselves or the court too seriously. Listen to new episodes of Strict Scrutiny every Monday, wherever you get your podcasts. I've been using this company called Trade Coffee, Jason, and I have them send it directly to my office. And we have a lot of coffee drinkers here. And it's amazing. To me, it reminds me of like when my mom would go to the supermarket when I was a kid and we'd get a little box of those Snickers ice cream bars. And like it would be an all out war to to get them first. And we would like hide them in the freezer and stuff like that. That's what happens with this coffee now is that it does not last a single day. I'm excited that you are basically keeping everyone caffeinated in your office right now. 
now trade is offering new subscribers a total of $30 off your first order plus free shipping when you go to drinktrade.com slash m54. That's more than 40 cups of coffee for free. Get started by taking their quiz at drinktrade.com slash m54 and let trade find you a coffee you'll love. That's drinktrade.com slash m54 for $30 off. And don't forget about Mother's Day coming up. A trade subscription is the perfect gift for the coffee lovers in your life. Well, in the news of the week, Jason, big news, Elon Musk has, it seems, officially bought Twitter and will be taking it private in a $44 billion acquisition. This seems like a huge deal that could potentially change the platform. What do you make of all this? I feel like... I should have a really strong view on this. And I anticipate that I will have a really strong view on this when he starts doing things. And I struggle with the fact that I have a tendency because I use Twitter a lot and I have my largest audience as far as social media is on Twitter. I have a tendency to probably feel as though I'm entitled to Twitter, like as though like it existing in the way it exists and serving me the way it serves me that I I feel, I guess, entitled to it as if it has to exist in its current form. But I have to remember that it's a company uh, and it's just providing a service and and it could change that service. So I'm really skeptical and I'm concerned about it, but actually mostly not because of all that stuff. What I'm mostly concerned about is one singular thing. And that is the possibility that Elon Musk will allow Trump and people like Trump to come back onto Twitter and say whatever they want with no consequences, because, and this is not really a political concern. It's more of a concern about violence, because when I think about the moment when Twitter made the decision to kick Trump off, I actually think that that probably prevented a lot of violence uh, that would have come uh, afterward. Yeah, I think that there are like two different parts of the story. One is how other people are going to react to this news. And then there's what Musk is going to do, right? I think on the Musk front, here's what we know so far, things that he's floated about what he would do to the company. Number one is he's talked about adding an edit button. Two, he's talked about adding long form tweets. Three, he's he's talked about taking on spam bots and authenticating, making it easier to authenticate real humans and making that a priority. He's talked about opening up the algorithm. Uh, and to be clear, this is where you start to get into a little bit of his theory on free speech is that he wants to open up the algorithm both for innovation, but also to bring some transparency as to what Twitter decides to ban or not. Members of the right really love this. Uh, I'll come back around to that because I think there's many ways to to think about that. He definitely wants to soften content moderation, which in is relates to the Trump phenomenon. In general, I think he's way more libertarian to use the term about free speech. And he's criticized Twitter for things like uh, banning the New York Post, for example, for two weeks when they reported the Hunter Biden story, which turned out to be, at least in part, an accurate story. I did a, a deep dive on this recently. And so Musk, I think, is way less likely to put the reins on uh, media publications and users um, and, and tell them what they can and cannot say. He also seems like he's going to be cutting costs. Like to me, he's made a lot of statements that that indicates that he might he seems to think that there are too many people working at Twitter. And it certainly seems like he will be cutting the content moderation team. So those are things that he has publicly toyed with doing. But then there's how other people are reacting 
there has been an exodus, it seems, of left-wing users over the past few days, where I think certain accounts, like Barack Obama's account, I think lost like 300,000 followers or something like that. And then Marjorie Taylor Greene gained some kind of enormous amount of followers. So there's definitely movement in and out of the platform as well. And so I think people are people are definitely interpreting this in a certain kind of way. And so I think what there is no question that Twitter one year from now looks different than it does today. You know, what's interesting to me from a marketplace perspective is one of Facebook's main selling points has been that they're the they're the more libertarian approach, right? They're the people who are like, look, we're not going to tell you what you can and cannot say so much. But really, I think it was like, we're not going to spend money on that. It's not important to us and we're not going to sacrifice users. So I wonder if much like to use an analogy that probably doesn't fit, although it is the car industry, which kind of fits Twitter, you know, Ford came out with the Bronco. And all of a sudden, Jeep was like, well, if you're going to play on our corner for Jeep, well, then they're like, well, we got to do something that rivals the expedition. So then Jeep's coming out with, or the Explorer. So Jeep's coming out with something that does. So I wonder if that, if in the same way, if Facebook goes, well, maybe it is worth the investment to us to invest more in content moderation. If there are liberal users that are leaving that platform, can we pick them up? But I think that's hard because I haven't used Facebook other than I know they own Instagram, but I haven't used the actual, you know, original mothership platform in a couple of years. So I don't know that I would be swayed. Super, super interesting wrinkle to this is as of today, the number one downloaded app is Truth Social, Trump's social media platform, in part because it seems like they've ironed out some of the kinks in that platform. Now, Trump has said that even with Musk taking over Twitter, he will not go on Twitter, which Obviously, he may revisit that, but he has a business interest in not going on Twitter, even if he's allowed to go back in, because if he's tweeting from both, then why does anybody go to Truth Social? And if all these right wing people are moving to Twitter, that's actually a threat to his business model at Truth Social. So that's something super interesting to watch out for is like, how does Trump react to this? Well, can we let's uh, predict? Oh, yeah. Let's, let's, oh, yeah, let's, let's try. Yeah. Let's do the impossible. Yeah. But actually, that's not true. He's become pretty predictable. So let's let's try to predict Trump. This time I'll go first. For uh, sure. And, and, and I will say uh, that I predict that within the next 12 months, Donald Trump will find a reason to talk smack on Elon Musk because it's in his business interest. And frankly, it's also in his political interest. If he can draw more people to true social, then he he has access to all that data uh, as well. Not just not just a, a direct microphone to those people, but he has access to the data of what they're consuming and what's what's moving them. So I, I predict that he'll come up with a reason to say that Elon Musk is the enemy of something that he thinks he's the friend of. It'd be interesting to see what that is, but. That's what I think. Yeah. Happened. And you also, like, I do think that's possible. And I think I have no claim to Trump's mind, but I think one one possibility is that he holds out for a while. And then if Truth Social struggles I it, and we get closer to the election, he'll go on Twitter if he oh, thinks it's sure. in his interest, you know? Yeah. If it's uh, not, he'll go on Twitter and talk about how awful Twitter is and why people should come to Truth Social. Like, it, who cares? Yeah. This Twitter wrinkle is a big one because Musk is a hero to the right. I don't think Musk is a purely right-wing figure. I think he is a very eclectic, hard-to-predict personality where he has certain libertarian views and then I would say certain liberal views. And he's not easy to pin down. But he has been, I think, kind of courted by the right. And I think members of the right see a lot in him. And so I think his influence in many ways rivals Trump with certain 
members of the sort of power users on social media, right? Not like your person who's not on social hanging out like in some random town, but more like the people who are very active in the public square on the right really like uh, Elon Musk. And so this is a real threat to Trump's business model. Uh, but this is not a profitable company. It's worth mentioning. This is a company that has lost $860 million since becoming publicly traded. They've had 33 earnings calls and then only 14 of them have they reported profits. And this comes as, at least as of today, Tesla stock has gone down significantly with this news, I think in part because investors in Tesla don't want even more divided attention span from Elon Musk on that company. It's funny how it seems like there's really only two things necessary, really just one thing necessary to becoming a hero of the right, which is to be criticized by the left. And then if you happen to also be wealthy beyond imagination, then like you're a lock. Like after yeah. that, it kind of doesn't matter. Like you're a hero to the right. If, if the left doesn't like you and you're and you're wealthy to a point that makes no sense, you're a hero, which is just kind of funny. Uh, well, Jason, you've been playing a ton of baseball, and dude, I watched you do a doubleheader once out there in Kansas City. I think we're actually over the border in Kansas. You uh, did. You're a good friend. You came, <laughs> and you and Grace and McKenzie sat with my dad and watched us play a doubleheader. Well, it's only it's the only baseball game I've seen in years, uh, but it's really impressive what y'all are doing, and. You've got to have some secret, Jason. Let me in on it. Like, how are you able to to keep your athletic prime going like this? You know, it's Athletic Greens, man. And what is this stuff? Athletic Greens AG1 has 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced, superfoods, probiotics, adaptogens to help you start your day right. It's how I start my day. It's the first thing I do every day before I leave my apartment, even before I have coffee. And Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash majority. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash majority to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. You know, folks don't always realize that physical symptoms like headaches, teeth grinding, even digestive issues, or in my case, back pain, uh, can be uh, indicators of stress. And let's not forget about doom scrolling or, or sleeping too little sleeping too much. Anybody who's listened to this podcast knows I got my fair share of stress, especially lately. And what's interesting is it shows up in all kinds of ways. And in a world that's telling you to do more, sleep less and grind all the time, never mind just the crazy politics that we're all dealing with, but this brings you to this podcast in the first place. You need reminders to take care of yourself and maybe, uh, you know, try some therapy. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, so give it a try and see if online therapy can help lower your stress. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and Majority 54 listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash M54. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash M54. Ravi, the 45th president of the United States, Donald Trump, has been weighing in on some primaries lately, and uh, he's made some interesting choices. Yes, and actually, his he appears to be influencing these races. So big question as we head into GOP primary season, which is imminent now, 
is does Trump and Trump's endorsement carry the day? I think without a doubt, no matter what happens with his endorsement, his influence is being shown because in a lot of these primaries, Ohio, which we'll talk about, even the candidates who didn't get his endorsement have shape shifted enough to try to court him and his supporters that Trump's influence will win out whether his candidates win or not. But his candidates look like they're going to win. Uh, and I'm and I really sad to report this because some of these candidates, we had been kind of dancing on their graves before. J.D. Vance, for instance, got Trump's endorsement recently. He was down five points before the endorsement. And now he's ahead in the most recent poll. Uh, this, is, this came even as it, uh, one of his roommates from Yale Law School, Vance's roommates, revealed that Vance was texting, comparing Trump to Hitler, I think. And so he was able to withstand that. Which I have been specifically told we're not allowed to do. Right. Anyway. Yeah. And and, and (laughs) Vance's, to be fair to Vance, he was like, I can't tell whether he's the Hitler or or Nixon or something, he said. So it wasn't like a clean like comparison, but it was close enough. It makes sense that he wouldn't be able to tell. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So you have that. And then you have Dr. Oz, the TV personality, received Trump's endorsement and has surged ahead since the endorsement in Pennsylvania. And so those are two of the most competitive primaries in the country where Trump's endorsement appears to be making a difference. Jason, like, given the fact that Trump's views are going to win no matter what, do we even care about this dynamic or is this significant in some way? Politically, I would rather that all these folks have to keep fighting it out and it'd be really nasty and all that kind of stuff. As a podcast host who wants to know where to direct, you know, where to mass fires. It's just kind of nice to know who's probably going to win these primaries um, yep. so that we can, uh, we can sort of, you know, mass fire on them, so to speak. You know, uh, I'm of course being figurative. Nobody should be massing fires on anything. Um, but what I would say is that uh, I just think it's so perfect that Vance can say that kind of stuff. And then Trump is just like, Hey, um, I'm a purely transactional human being. And I look at Mandel and I'm like, I think he's weird. And so I think he won't win. And I think maybe you're a little less weird and you're kind of a sociopath in just like me. So, yep. uh, so I think you're my guy. Uh, I mean, it's clearly to me, like it, it, it's a marriage of convenience. I think the same is true with Oz, although probably Trump has some uh, affinity for somebody who pretended to be something they're not uh, on television. <laughs> um, yeah. and, and so I think like the, there's a real simpatico there, but I think we're going to find out how influential he is. And I think, I think what we're going to find out is he's still very influential. I mean, if his endorsement isn't determinative in a U.S. Senate primary that's very close, well, then then he's going to have trouble in the in the Republican primary for president. Um, but yeah. I think it's going to be determinative. Yeah, I, I do think it will prompt us also to go back and, and revisit our advanced takes, because I vaguely remember being like we were like, this is him throwing away all his principles. And in the end, he's not even going to have the Senate seat. But yeah. it's possible he actually gets the Senate seat, which Turns is kind of sad. Yeah, it ter- turns out he just we were wrong because he wasn't throwing them away. He was trading them in. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. you know, I guess there's that. Some yeah, so I just want to be that... honest to our audience on this because well, <laughs> like I, I do feel like I might my, my, my I don't remember exactly what I said, but I do remember thinking he was done. No, well, because Mandel was ahead and, and all that. Yeah. And so now we should point out he's still got to get past uh, Morgan Harper, Tracy Johnson or Tim Ryan uh, in, in Ohio. I think likely that's going to be Tim Ryan, who I think. And here's what I'll say about that is that 
a few years ago, I went to Ohio, Sherrod Brown asked me to come and campaign for him. And I did, I went around and, and, um, I did a, like a, uh, an event in, uh, in Youngstown in, in Tim Ryan's district. And I'll tell you what, the people that I met in Tim Ryan's district, they got some vague notion that I was there from the democratic party and they had some things they wanted to talk to me about. And so like the things you hear, like when you read a New York Times profile of like a Democrat who is maybe in the profile of someone who would be going for Trump, but has stayed Democratic or whatever. Like I met, I met the archetypal people in that district. And I tell you, they loved them some Tim Ryan. They did not care about anything I'd ever done in my life. They wanted me to know whether I was friends with Tim Ryan. And I was like, <laughs> yes. And they were like, all right, you're cool. Fascinating I mean, town. You know, I used to be the organizer for Obama in that district, Mahoney oh, County. Yeah. And it reminds me a lot of Staten Island because it's like this blue collar area that has like shifted in a way towards Trump. It's like a lot of the types of voters that Democrats need to spend a lot of time thinking about it. In, th in that sense, Ryan is a, is a good vessel for a tough Senate climate, but it's really tough in Ohio. So he's going to have to do a lot of things right in order to win that, assuming he makes it out of that primary. Let's tackle a couple messages from our listeners. Uh, we have one from Sylvia, and the background here is that she and her husband are struggling to maintain a relationship with their closest friends, who are another married couple. And they used to bond over their love of politics, but the husband and that other couple uh, is getting increasingly radicalized and says Donald Trump was the best president of his lifetime. Uh, and here's what Sylvia wrote to us. She says, the, my question is, how do we navigate our most important friendship with these two people, my husband and I love, who are themselves becoming increasingly separated. At dinner, we no longer talk of politics or world events, but that does not seem sustainable. Politics and world events have always been what most interested and concerned us, hence our conversations now seem stultified, great word, and superficial. Jason, I am predictably not steeped in the world of couple politics. How do you handle this? I've got some experience with this sort of thing. I have one relationship in my life that, uh, like Diana and I do, where we, because of this, we very rarely see the people we stay in good terms. We very rarely see the people anymore. And then another where we see the people, but we kind of don't talk about it when the husband is there. It, it's always the husband. That's the problem, by the way. <laughs> um, and I guess what is interesting to me about this is it's interesting that the four of them used to talk about it all the time. And yet this guy has gone so far that he says that Donald Trump was the best president of his lifetime, which is remarkable. I'm also interested in, I, I kind of wish Sylvia was here to answer these questions. Like it sounds like she's saying not just that the couple is getting more separated politically, that yeah. they, they may be growing apart. Yeah. Um, notable, notable. And, and I'm going to take a guess and say that Sylvia and her husband were friends with not the husband first. So it sounds to me a little like this may sort itself out, unfortunately. But what I would say is, is that you just got to, I mean, look, you're not obligated to stay friends with people who your interests do not align with anymore. But if you're going to, you know, in keeping with our, our episode from last week, which people should really go back and listen to if they haven't heard it, I would focus on being curious. If you're going to talk about it, be curious about the husband's views and try not to be indignant about them, at least in his presence. Yeah, I totally agree. If the thing that was enjoyable and that connected you was politics and that is no longer enjoyable, you're under no obligation to continue, right? You could if you want, but you're taking on a whole project there per uh, our episode last week where it's a long game. So if you're ready for that and you're ready for it to be less enjoyable, 
inevitably it's going to be less enjoyable than some of the conversations you had before by, by some of the things you described. You know, you just don't have to do it. You're under no obligation. Life is short. Uh, so we'll do one more. Uh, a listener named Ray responded to part of our conversation with Monica. So that was our conversation from last week. As a quick refresher, if you didn't listen to the episode, uh, Monica is a, a bridge builder professionally. That's what she does. She helps people build bridges and relationships over things they disagree on. And it is heavily steeped in the fact that she is a, a Mexican-American with Mexican-American immigrant parents. And her, her father and her mother are uh, very conservative. Uh, and so that's the context for for what Ray is responding to here. Uh, he wrote, I think Monica's discussion with her father saying Biden won, but there were probably voting irregularities is in another category. Several studies and ridiculous re recounts have proven this to be demonstrably false. Most say it was the most accurate ever, which makes sense with technology improving and all the attention paid to it beforehand. To concede facts seems like a slippery slope to me, regardless of how her father got there. I think to know how he got there is definitely good information to have, but to prevent us from devolving further into authoritarianism, the truth has to mean something. So Ravi, is, is Ray correct? Like is letting certain facts go in order to convince others harmful or, or should we, should we pick our battles? I had this thought as, as we we're having this discussion last week and I'm kind of, I'm kind of with our listener on this in the sense that like you can't, cause like Monica's whole project was the truth is the goal, right? Now, if you lie to somebody to get to the truth, I think you kind of pollute the experience and the the entire endeavor, right? If you're like, hey, I'm going to concede things that I don't actually believe as a way to anchor with you, that can be destructive. So I think, because as she was talking, I had the same thought. I'm like, well, this whole point about the pandemic, there's like, yes, like things are different, but, but the, the so what about it? I don't want to validate that because it's not true. It's not true that things are different about that election. And therefore, there was sufficient chaos and nefarious activity to in any way account for the claims being made. So I'm like, I don't want to acknowledge that. Like, I don't want to validate that point of view, even if it will help build momentum in this conversation. And so it's a bit of a bind. Like, you have to find things you actually believe in in order to anchor, you know? I disagree with Ray, but I think it's because I, I, I see this slightly differently. One, I didn't feel like Monica was acknowledging the idea that there was like hanky panky in the election. You know, when her dad was saying that, I felt like what I heard her saying was, first of all, the term election irreg irregularity by itself, it doesn't mean corruption. It doesn't mean abuse of power. It doesn't mean this. As somebody who you know used to run elections, there are uh, election irregularities that happen. They don't happen in great number, but in each election, there is some irregularity. There is somebody who showed up at a polling place and their name wasn't on a list. It's, it's generally just because an election is a huge undertaking logistically and mistakes get made inadvertently. So there, there are irregularities that happen in every election. There were irregularities mostly very small in number and mostly uh, corrected uh, in the last election. But so I think acknowledging that is is okay. And I didn't feel like she was acknowledging her dad's conclusion that, you know, it was like stolen or anything. Because actually, if I recall correctly, I don't think he said that he thought it was stolen. What he said was he just thought it wasn't fair because it was conducted differently. I felt like what she was acknowledging was his emotional conclusion, not his factual conclusion. And I think that's okay. Say like, I understand how you can feel that way. Yeah. I think, I think you're probably right. I, I think like she, I think the literal words of what she's saying were, were correct and 
I think there was something about the way she said it. I know she like she wasn't being disingenuous, but there was something about the way I received it that I had like a certain reaction to it. I was like, this doesn't feel like it's authentic. Well, it was um, uncomfortable. Not, yeah. Well, more just because like it felt to me like it wasn't authentic. Not that she isn't authentic, but like I was picturing myself saying those words being like, yeah, this isn't this isn't revealing of my truth in any way. And so one of the things I, I, I struggle with is to our conversation last week, one of the, like this, remember when you were saying like, you're like a zoo animal, like we don't want to like, like send the message that we're like interacting with people. Like there's some kind of like oddity. Right. And I think one of the things that can get us accused of arrogance is if we're kind of like disingenuous in any way. And so I'm kind of allergic to that. Right. And so like, how do I find authentic ways to bridge, you know? Well, I think the context can't be lost that she's in a conversation with her father. Right. Right. And, and so she's in a conversation with her dad and her dad feels this thing. And it is it is natural and normal to acknowledge that thing and to be like, if you feel that, then that's your truth. OK, you feel that. Here's why I don't get there. Right. And so I think about like, for instance, conversations I've had with people just in the last week about like conservative versus liberal, like the very idea of conservative versus liberal. And in order to have that conversation. I can't just go into it guns a blazing with a total indictment of the idea of conservatism, right? I have to say like, look, there's conservatism. And I say to them, which is the kind I think you hold, which is, I don't think things should change so much. And then there's this new brand of conservatism that's like authoritarianism. So in that, like, I'm glossing over the fact that I largely disagree with all forms of conservatism, right? But- And I, I don't feel like that's necessarily hiding the ball. I feel like that's that's giving them- some space, some grace in order to bring them a little closer. Yeah. And I think like your example of your student, like your, your, your friend who had the kid who was picked on mm-hmm. and all that was a good example where you were like, you acknowledge the thing you agreed on first before you moved on. All right. Well, I have a quick grab and oar, um, which is that I, I think it's possible that I have mentioned on here before. Uh, in fact, I'm sure I have mentioned that I have a book coming out July 5th. It's called Invisible Storm, A Soldier's Memoir of Politics and PTSD. It is a memoir about uh, my journey through post-traumatic stress to post-traumatic growth and also the backdrop of, of having undiagnosed untreated mental illness, post-traumatic stress, while basically running for president. Um, So it's a pretty good story, in addition to, I think, being pretty helpful. But obviously, you know, given the subject matter, I I want it to not just as a message and as a story help more people, but I want the book to literally do that. So what I've not made public until this moment here is that I've decided that all of my royalties from Invisible Storm, uh, which again comes out July 5th, will uh, go toward combating veteran suicide and veteran homelessness. Uh, so specifically to the work that the Veterans Community Project does. That's amazing, man. That's so yeah, awesome. This book is incredible, audience. I had a chance to read it. And, you know, one thing you didn't mention about it, it's it's, it's just written in a way that uh, no other book I've ever seen is written because you you also introduced Diana's voice uh, where she gives her own experience that, you know, sometimes um, validates what you're going through and sometimes adds something new. And I've never seen a book like that before. And it's so enlightening. You're both incredible writers and obviously the story itself, like as somebody who, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, you care about Jason's journey, you will learn so much from this book. Um, And so I can't recommend it enough. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks. I'm I'm really proud of it. I may mention it 
a few more times between now and July. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, I, I am really proud of it. I'm excited for it. And um, yeah, so uh, you can get it wherever you get books. Pre-order it now. That helps. But also, uh, you know, all the proceeds, all the all the royalties for me are going to go uh, to a good cause. Thanks to everybody who uh, sent an email. You can also leave us a voicemail, 508-687-2589, 508-687-2589. Leave us a voicemail letting you know uh, if you if you have a strong feeling on which of those stories uh, was better suited to the opening segment, or, or rather who had the shittier week, uh, you know, you can leave us a voicemail about that. If you have, like, maybe you're Elon Musk's third cousin and you just completely disagree with my reservations, like, leave us, I would love to hear from you. You can email us also at m. 54 and wondermedianetwork.com and in addition to all that you should send us who you've been talking to for our pledge to persuade campaign like you know we've been talking about that a bit Ravi just referenced the story that I told last week you know have you had any successes have you had failures let's talk about it we'd like to hear it uh, I'm at Jason Kander on Instagram and Twitter Ravi is at Ravi M. Gupta on Twitter and Instagram Ravi I assume they're going to get a look at this new apartment uh, soon that you're buying it doesn't you know it's under construction so it doesn't open until January but uh, you'll see me with a hard Hard hat at some point going oh, back to the set. Well, that's you know, reason period. enough. That's reason yeah. enough. Yeah. Uh, and our show is at Majority54 on Twitter. Remember, we all have a platform. Make sure to use yours today. Majority 54 is a Wonder Media Network production. It's produced by Grace Lynch, Edie Allard, and Adesua Agbenayo. Theme music provided by Kemet Coleman. And special thanks to Diana Kander. Hi, listeners. It's Robbie with a question for you. What if instead of being on the brink of disaster, we're on the cusp of a better world? For that answer, I recommend listening to the What Could Go Right podcast. Each week, Progress Network founders Zachary Carabell and Executive Director Emma Varva Lucas dive into the biggest news and most pressing topics of our time, from elections to climate change, and make the case for a brighter future with guests like Harvard professor Arthur C. Brooks and California State Senator Robert Hertzberg. Progress is on the way. Find out on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts.